0: And I'm grateful already to have the passage of Scripture read for us that we're going to be covering today, so I'm going to invite you to turn to Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is where we're going to be this morning. And in three short weeks, when you arrive here for church in the morning, things are going to look a lot different. In fact, as you drive in the parking lot, you'll notice things are different. Right on the other side of this wall or this door, there'll be some campers out there. On the other side of the parking lot, you'll see some semi-trailers. And you're like, this is not a normal Sunday. You're right. As you walk through the hallways past the library and the children's wing, you'll notice that there'll be all sorts of young adults there poised and excited to serve you and your children as they have different props and costumes set up. In the children's wing, where they meet with them there, or in the library. If you go down to the youth area in the basement, you'll notice all sorts of changes down there as well as a whole team of people to work with our students. When you walk into the auditorium, it will look a lot different. There'll there'll actually be a band up here that'll be playing music on that week. In addition, as you come for 9 o'clock in three weeks, it, it won't be gathering for a Sunday school. Rather, there'll be a service, begins at 9 and extends into the ten fifteen hour as well. And there'll be two different people that speak during that time. There'll be one that speaks primarily to family issues, for your marriage and for raising children. And then there'll be another person that comes and follows that, just speaks about heart issues. And the whole purpose of this life action gathering is for us to draw close to God. Later in that week, on a Thursday afternoon, ladies, there'll be a special luncheon just for you, where this auditorium will be turned into like a dining hall, where the, there'll be tables that would be decorated uh, tastefully, there'll be a wonderful meal provided for you, as, some, as well as some godly, gospel-centered content, and then on that Saturday, I think the 28th, there'll be a family conference offered right here in this room as well. That'll be for parents, that'll be for husband and wives, that will help them just to be able to apply God's truth to their families. Simultaneously, there'll be activities going on for our children and our students. As you heard already this morning, God uses these, this ministry to change lives. And so that's what we have been praying for in preparation for Life Action Coming, that God will change my life and that God will change your life. So be prepared for that. Last week, Roman uh, kind of set the stage for us in preparation for Life Action, joining us in a few weeks by offering to us a message on the importance of extending forgiveness to people who have wronged us. want to continue in this vein of preparing ourselves for Life Action by looking here at Psalm 15, that emphasizes being in the presence of God. In fact, I think that's what life action is all about. We want to have God's presence in our individual lives, in our families, but also in our church family too. And so as you look at Psalm 15, I think you have a very straightforward collection of five different verses, and it begins with a question. When I was thinking of this question, I was also considering that sometimes children can ask the best questions. I was on the internet, I I came across a few of these. One little child came up to his mom and says, Mom, my belly hurts. Am I pregnant? Another child offered a a thought-provoking question that says, why do we have to be born young and grow old? Why can't we be born old and get young? A young person looked up to a, a grandma grandpa and says, Hey, in the olden days, was everything black and white? <laughs> or a child said, How is it that I have two eyes, but I can only see one thing? Or why do swear words get invented, but we can never say them? A boy was in the supermarket with his dad. was buying beer, and he says, "Why are you buying beer, Dad? Do you not know how much candy we could get with that money?" <laughs> or, or my favorite and was a boy who said, "I wonder what arms taste like." He licks his arm, looks off in the distance, and says, "Tastes like neutral. Tastes like neutral." Well, before we can get to some really profound answers, we need to be asking some great questions. And Psalm 15, verse 1, begins with a very relevant question for us today. It's this. Look with me at Psalm 15, verse 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? And who shall dwell on your holy hill? You'll notice there in that Verse that there's really two questions, but they're they're saying virtually the same thing. The question is this. How can I dwell in the presence of God? In verse 1, O Lord, O Jehovah, who shall sojourn in your tent? The word sojourn means to travel, to visit, to to stay with. Then it says... Who shall sojourn in your tent? Is this like a Coleman camping tent? No, if we understand the context of the Old Testament, we remember in the second book of the Bible in chapters 25 through 31, God instructed Moses to build him a tabernacle or a tent of meeting. And it would be here where the Ark of the Covenant would be, and it would be here where sacrifices were offered, where God's presence would be made known. This is a really a profound question for those in the Old Testament time, who can enter into the presence of God? We would have thought the answers would have only been the high priests, the ones that offered sacrifices that could only go into this holy of holies once a year. The question is asked again, just with a slight modification in verse one. It asks it this way, Who shall dwell on your holy hill? This time the, the word dwell is used that refers to not just a visit, but settling down, abiding or inhabitating in the presence of God. Who shall dwell on your holy hill is a reference to the eventual location that will give way to the tent of meeting or tabernacle into the permanent structure of the temple. So here is the question that's posed in verse 1. How can I dwell in the presence of God? Now there's a bit of a cultural bridge here that I want to just cross with you because what's being extended here is hospitality when you're in someone's presence in the ancient times. Perhaps in our time here in the Midwest, we would say, I want to offer hospitality during this Sunday afternoon. So after the service, we're going to have some people over, and we're going to serve them food, we're going to serve them dessert, we're going to offer some coffee, and then we're going to exchange some stories and get to know them. And after a a set amount of time, well, we're done, and it's time for them to leave. And we're, we're going to start offering them some clues, like looking down at my watch, and 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 yawning and saying, "Well, we got a lot more to do yet today." So, uh, um, but the hospitality that is extended in the first century, or at this time, even before the first century in ancient times, was one that offered protection and provision. If the Lord wills, Gary and Elijah and I will be boarding a plane tomorrow. We we'll be off to Senegal, West Africa. And once we arrive on Neomoon Island, if that trip is like the other trips, the first stop will be at Chief Boniface's home. And when we enter that home, there will be hospitality of his provision and his protection that is offered. And if someone were to walk by and offer a dirty look or even make a threat, they would not be just making it towards us, It would actually be towards the chief and all the people there. And I'm telling you something, as a guest, there's a certain security that comes with that. And so when we're talking about being in the presence of God here in verse 1, what we're talking about is this blessing of, of having his provision and protection over our lives. Let me ask you this. How much do you value the presence of God? Not to get something from him, but just to enjoy his company. A few weeks ago, a busy week of ministry, I come home to the house and everything is bouncing and loud. A lot of activities there. And, and I haven't really spent a lot of quality time with Melody. And I said, Melody, how about you and I? Let's just get away. We don't have the time to go out to eat, but how about we just, how about we go to Menard's? <laughs> And that's what we did. We went to Menards and we, we just walked. I didn't want anything from her. She didn't want anything from me. We just wanted to be with one another. And that's that's what, if you are made in the image of God, is what you are created to do. Is to seek and enjoy the presence of God. So in Psalm 15... You have a wonderful outline that's made for us. You have a question that is posed in verse 1. You have answers that are given in verses 2, 3, 4, and the first part of 5. And then at the end, you have a blessing that comes with that answer. So here's the question. How can I dwell in the presence of God? I think before I even get into that answer, I need to qualify a few things here. First of all, is that we can't just trample into God's presence. Our sin prevents us from trampling into God's presence. We might say, I I want to know God, but this is what the Bible says. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that you do not hear. It's kind of like this, thinking of another metaphor when my sweet wife that works on cleaning the floor, the tile floor in our home, and the boys are out playing in the mud and the dirt, and when they come in, my wife will say to them, don't you dare track that mud on the floor. You need to be thoughtful about my presence. In the same way, we ought not to trample our sin in God's presence, but the problem is, all of us have this sin. And so, as we look at these answers in verses two through five, none of us, listen to me, none of us out of effort can acquire God's presence. And that's why we need a mediator. You have a holy God, you have a sinful man, and Jesus has come as the bridge. And so, the answers here in verses two through five are qualities of a person that dwells in the presence of God, but it's only possible by the grace of God. So we might say verses 2 through 5 are built on the teaching of justification by faith alone. That it is only possible to live these answers out as we've received the grace of God to save us, and then we're also receiving the grace of God to apply these in our life. As we look at these qualities, there is only one person that has kept all these answers. And that is Jesus. And Jesus has taken his obedience, and he is accredited to our account by grace through faith. So now we're not only saved by grace, but we live by grace. And as we begin to look here at verse 2, and I want to ask you, what do you think verses 2, 3, and 4, and 5 might have to say about how we can experience the presence of God? Our mind might go to religious thought to say, well, that must mean there must be all sorts of offerings I have to provide. Profound, eloquent, long prayers that I need to offer up to God. It must mean I have to live in the scriptures and just study and, and memorize them, or or adhere to a rigid list of rules that I need to apply to my life. But what we're actually going to see in verses two, three, four, and 5 is common everyday stuff that all of us do, that we are to do now for the glory of God. So let's look at the answers, okay? The answer, we find the first answer is found in verse 2. Who is it that can be in the presence of God? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. In verses 2 through 5, you have what are called couplets. Couplets just mean that there's two different thoughts in each statement. And you see the two thoughts there. The one, as he walks blamelessly, and two, does what is right. For the interest of just keeping this simple and providing an outline, I'm going to give you five different thoughts Provided in this answer of the person that is able to be in the presence of God, the first is they walk blamelessly. Now the word walk here is a metaphor. It is an expression to convey one's course of life. And it says that this person walks blamelessly. The word blameless means to be complete, whole, entire, or sound. In the New American Standard, it says that this person walks with integrity. The idea is that the truth of God, the gospel of God, comes down into our lives and it is acted out with perfect integration at all times. You see, Psalm 15 is not one of these psalms that's going to boost your self-image. Rather, it's going to crush your own personal righteousness. Because we get out the gate, and he says, the person that is able to be in the presence of God is the person that has absolute maturity in their life. If we were going to play Simon Says, I was thinking of Simon Says when I was a kid. Maybe there was a quiet time or a, a time where the teacher needed to fill in some time during the class. And so the teacher would say, okay, what I want everyone to do, Simon Says, stand, stand. And then the, the, the course of the game would go like this. The teacher would try to trip trip up the students, right, and say things. And the one who wins is the last person standing. If we were to tr- apply the same rules to this game this morning, i say, hey, let's just see who the most righteous person is by using Psalm 15 as our standard. Let's everyone stand up. I'm going to work through these one at a time, and let's see who's left standing. Are you following me? No one is standing after the first thing that is said, because all of us are crushed by this first thought, that we are to walk blamelessly. I'm reminded of a story a couple of years ago with my oldest, Abe, and him and his homeschool group, and another homeschool group in Appleton were doing something called a mock trial, where they were given a a case, and, and some of them had to be lawyers, and others had to be witnesses, and And there was a distinct difference between these two groups. Abe's group is comprised of all oldest siblings in the family. The other group in Appleton were virtually all younger siblings in their families. Now, why does that matter? Because the rules of this mock trial is that parents can't help and teachers can't help, but older siblings could. And so... It was during COVID time, and so we were watching it on Zoom as our son Abe was a lawyer, and there was this Philadelphia lawyer there in Appleton that he was up against this this young lady. And as they were cross-examining the witness, I mean, there was blood in the water. This person there in Appleton had certainly been much more well-versed and coached. And as they were cross-examining this witness... It was very clear that she was more experienced and knew what she was doing more than Abe was. And there was a time where I was watching him on the screen, and he looked down and he seemed to be texting or something his classmates. And so after the the, the trial took place, I said, "Abe, what what were you texting your classmates?" He said, "I was texting, we're dead, 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 <laughs> dead, dead." dead. <laughs> And you know what? As we read through Psalm 15, that's what we read about ourselves too. Is we're dead, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. There is no righteousness within us. We need the grace of God. This is not one that strokes your ego. It is one that crushes your ego. The second part it says here in verse two, it says, He walks blamelessly and does what is right. He conforms to God's good and appropriate standard in everything. Everything. Do you see your need for grace today? James tells us faith produces works. Good works. And so does your life produce this? So the first answer of who is it that gets to be in the presence of God is the one who is determined a level one priority for my life is to grow in the Lord. God, use all the circumstances, all the events. Use your providence to shape me to be more like Jesus. The second answer provided here flows from the first. That is, if one has a blameless walk, truthful speech will follow. Look at what it says there in the second part of verse 2. He speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue? And so, it's not just their life, but their words match their life. Jesus taught, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Blameless life produces blameless words. And yet we see in the scriptures, who can control the tongue? Now, being a skillful teacher, David not only tells us what to do, but what not to do. As it says here in verse 3, who does not slander with his tongue. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, slander is a false spoken statement about someone that damages their reputation. You hear something about another person, you you share it, It's not even true, but it damages that person's reputation. If you're following any, I don't know, news of uh, movie star actors this past week, there's, I mean, that's just like center stage there is uh, Johnny Depp and his former wife. He He is alleging that she has slandered him, and that is costing him. Tens of millions of dollars. So the person that, that is in the presence of God, has a blameless life, speaks words of truth. I appreciate how the King James puts that word slander. It's the word backbiteth. It's the idea that this person does not have the courage as they're staring into the face of this person, but it's after the person moves past them That they can talk behind their back and like a little dog nips at the back of their legs in, in bringing in injury to them. That's the word for slander. There's a third, there's a third quality that we see here of a person that is in the presence of God. It says there in the next part of verse three, he does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Continuing, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. This person possesses God-honoring relationships. If you were to go to your doctor for your annual checkup, he or she would, let me see your blood pressure. Uh, Let me listen to your heart. Let me examine your pulse. We're going to run some blood tests today. We're going to look at your height and weight We're going to examine your reflexes, a few of these essentials. But if you want to look at your spiritual life, the first three things that one looks at, according to this, is your walk, is the words that come out of your mouth, as well as your relationships. It says here that this person does no evil to his neighbor. Jesus taught, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So when one has wronged us, When we're squeezed, love and prayer comes out of us. It also says, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. This is a situation that all of us are faced with. Could be a a church member. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? This is what a person in Psalm 15 does with that. Are you sure about that? Are we talking about the right person? Why are you even telling me this? Why don't you go verify whether that's true? And if it doesn't have anything to do with you, why are you even saying anything to begin with? You see, a good friend, one with a God-honoring relationship, is not going to pass on slander or gossip. Proverbs 10, verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And these God-honoring relationships also flow into who influences our lives. In Psalm 15 it says there, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, who honors those who fear the Lord. The person who dwells in the presence of God chooses friends and role models carefully. This person is drawn to the godly. They surround themselves with others that will challenge them to grow in their love for God. And I would say that's not only physically in our personal relationships, but that's also in the company that we keep on social media. Whether that's music we listen to, podcasts we listen to, blogs we visit, we are careful to associate with those that are going to advance godliness in our lives. Of course, there's exceptions. There's people that we want to share the gospel with. But what we see here is those possess God-honoring relationships are those who are enjoying the presence of God. It reminds me of Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There's a fourth quality we see here in Psalm 15. Listen to this one, the last part of verse 4. This person swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now when we hear the word swear there, we ought not to think of offering curse words, but it's a person who keeps their word. It's a person who keeps their promises. The Bible warns us about making promises that we do not intend to keep. Psalm, or rather, Ecclesiastes five two says, "Do not be rash with your mouth; not let nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God." Jesus said in Matthew five thirty seven, "Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil." And the person that enjoys the presence of God in their life keeps their promises even when it hurts. You see, it's one thing to keep our word when it's to our advantage. You know, one day we're going to have you over to eat. I got, a, I got an extra ticket for you for the game. Well, I'm going to keep my word. I told, you I, would, I told you I'd take that ticket, and I told you I'd go over to your house and eat your, your food. But it's quite another thing, isn't it, when keeping our word has a cost to it for us. And when circumstances have changed and we are inconvenienced to do so. I've even heard someone say, you know what, I I meant to do that. I I realize I made that promise. But God is leading me to do something else. And we can spiritualize that. And I would just take them right back here to Psalm 15, verse 4 that if we want to experience the blessing of God, His presence, we keep our word even when it hurts. I'm reminded of this in our own family, where my two oldest do some taekwondo, and Abe, the oldest, is aspiring to his next test. And in order to do that, he has asked for his little brother Elijah to say, would you be my sparring partner for that? And Elijah said, you got it, I'll be there for you. And all of that was well, until the walleye started running on the fox and the Okano, And then it came to the night where, hey, Dad, I'm going fishing with you. And, and Abe's like, wait a minute, you promised that you were going to help me in Taekwondo so I could get my belt. Well, I realize I said that, but when I said that, the walleyes weren't running. <laughs> and uh, we said, well, well buddy, Elijah... If you offer your word, you you need to keep your word. Now, I would tell you that I think there is a way out of that. It's found in uh, Proverbs 6. You see it in your outline. It says here, if, you've snared, "'If you're snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, save yourself. For you have gone into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor.' Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. So there is there is a way that you can humble yourself and say, would you please release me from that? And if that person does release you, then you can. And and that's what happened between Elijah and Abe, is that Abe was gracious to release him so he could go fishing. But nonetheless, we've got to be careful of offering our word. Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches final quality that we see here in Psalm 15 of, of the quality of one that experiences the blessing of God's presence in their life is their money. And they use money for good. Do you see it there in verse 5? Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Now the Bible does not forbid banks. The Bible does not forbid Asking for interest. But there is a pattern here of exploiting poor poor people. of, Of charging unnecessary levels of interest at their expense. And I think that's what we have here. There's something about being content with what God has given to us. So we do not need to take bribes. This person that is enjoying the presence of God is content with what God has provided. He or she does not need to cut backroom deals or exchange money underneath the table. So you have the question, who is it that can experience the presence of God? You have the answers. You have these five things. Now let's conclude by looking at the blessing of God's presence. The last line there in verse 5. He who does these things shall never be Moved. The blessing of God's presence is stability. It's permanent residence in God's permanent tent. This morning, are you experiencing God's, or rather, are you experiencing worry? Are you experiencing fear, anxiety? Are you a double minded person? While you're here, you're like, yeah, I'm all in, I believe what the Bible says, but when you leave, your mind is given over to worry and fear. You and I, we need God's presence. You know, when we read the Scriptures, and we read about men and women that God used throughout the pages of the Bible, what we see is this pattern. It's not a man or a woman that is innovative or or brilliant. Rather, it's men and women that have the presence of God on their lives. I could go through a whole list, but let me just give you a few of them. Think of Isaac in Genesis 26 through 28, where El said of him, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Or how about Joseph in Genesis? The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Do you remember Moses? God's presence was with him, and at one time, um, God said, here's what I want you to do is just take these people to the promised land. But Moses is like, I'm not going unless your presence is with me. Exodus 33:15. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And Joshua, the one that would follow Moses, God said of him, be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. Do you remember Gideon? He was not a, a, a picture of, of strength and self-confidence, but God sent the angel of the Lord to him, and the angel of the Lord said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. How about David? It was said of David, And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. His son Solomon, in 2 Chronicles 1, one it said, Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord as God was with him and made him exceedingly great. We can continue throughout the Old Testament. Let me give you some New Testament. That young teenage girl, Mary, it was said, the angel visited and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Paul was doing some evangelism in Corinth. He was experiencing some resistance and he had a dream that night and in the dream God said to him, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. As we look through the pages of Scripture, the one whom God used was the one whom God was with. And loved ones, this is what we need. We need God's presence in our life. We need God's presence in our family and we need God's presence... In our church. What if you go through these five qualities and you say, you know what? I can't say I'm doing those things. I got good news for you. 1 John 1 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, we can confess that. We could say, God, I want you. I want your blessing. I want your presence in my life. God is drawn to the broken. Isaiah 66 2 says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Plead for forgiveness. Plead for the grace to change. Why life action? You know, why are we doing that? It really is to experience the blessing of God's presence in our lives. The blessing of God's presence in our church. And here's a great truth this morning. We don't have to wait for life action to get here. We can do it right now. As God is speaking to you, I'd I'd pose this question. How much do you value God's presence in your life? I mean, if you can't answer verse 1 like, that's really what I want in my life, verses 2 through 5 are irrelevant to you. But how many would join me in saying, this is what I long for? I just want to be with God. It's not that I want to get from you, God. I just want to be with you. I want to enjoy you. And if there's something in my life that is keeping me from that, and I'd say this church family, if there's something that I've done to you, if there's a, if there's a, if I've made a promise to you I haven't kept, please come to me. And we need to do that with one another. If there's something that you see in my life, please let me know because we want God's presence in our life. So as we think about this message, as we wrap it up, I think the most applicable application would be just, God, this is what I want. I was in a Bible study this morning, and, and Melody was teaching through Psalm 15, and, and one of the people said, I think the application would be another psalm that says, search my heart. Search my heart, God. Look at these qualities. Is this being lived out in my life, in my words, in my relationships? Am I keeping my word? How about the resources you've given to me? Am I applying that all for the way you would want me to do. Could you really say the most important thing to me right now is your presence in my life? And if not, would you just be honest and say it's not what it should be, but change my heart that it would be like that. Let's let's bow for prayer. That the music team can come. Now let's let the spirit of God search our hearts. Father, we're thankful that we're not just created and then just set off to the side. But our value is that we are made by you. We are put here on earth to enjoy our relationship with you. To enjoy your presence. To not ask and plead to use you, but to say, I just want to be with you And like a little child that can trample in mud and dirt into a house, say, you need to address that before you come into my my living room or my my kitchen. God, we know this about ourselves. As we look at this list in verses 2 through 5, we're crushed because there's not righteousness that dwells within us that can do this on our own. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit, on His grace to enable us to do that. So if we're walking in darkness today, may we confess that. Oh, may it be said of us, between our heart and yours, I desire you more than anyone else. I want your presence in my life. Some things got to change. And I want to bring those to you. Help me with that. There's, there's relationships I need to mend. There's words I need to, well, I need to confess because I've said the wrong things. I need to make that right. There's I'm not using my resources the way that you've... i am not, I'm not been a good steward of my time, of the, the money you've given to me, of the talents. God, I want to make that right. Lord, we want to We want to just not only hear your word today, but we want to be doers of your word as well. So help us in these remaining minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this song today, this altar is going to be open. If there's something that you want to present there, I'll tell you what you can present there as yourself, as a living sacrifice to him, and just confess to him, God, this is the most important thing to me, is your presence if there's anything in my life, maybe God's revealed some things to your life, lay them here and, and ask for the grace to change, to be the woman, the man that he wants you to be. And let's just see what God would do in your life and the life of our family and the life of our church family. Let's stand. I'll be here at the front if I could pray for you in any way. Otherwise, this altar is available to you.